0: And we are rolling once again. We are back. This is the Exploring Faith, Pursuing Grace podcast. I am Dr. Lee Grant, and joining me is Brother Kevin Pendergrass. Hello. Yes, we are back, and we have not talked in quite a while. Um, before we took a little break, now those of you that listening or that are listening, you don't know that we took a break because our episodes usually go live on Thursdays, but we recorded a lot of episodes within like a week or a week and a half period of time because Kevin, you had some family that were coming to visit you and you didn't want to have that schedule interfered with. Kim and I were getting ready to travel and go on vacation for our anniversary. And since we talked last, there's been a lot that has happened. We've had an election. The COVID-19 pandemic in Oklahoma has surged, and cases are higher than ever, and that has rekindled an old discussion and an old debate that took place back in the beginning stages of this pandemic back in March, and that has to do with the idea of attending church. What is the church to do in the face of this pandemic? Do we continue to meet as we always have? Do we dismiss services? Do we go online? What do we do? And there are different churches that have taken different approaches to this idea in in this crisis. And there are several who have elected to continue to meet. And I have no problem with any decision that a church makes in light of all of this, but there are some that have elected to continue to meet, especially within the churches of Christ, that have done so based on the precedent that they believe is taught in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 25. This is a verse that discusses forsaking the assembling. And the idea that is bandied about by so many, by myself, and by you as well, is that Hebrews ten twenty five teaches that attending church is something that a Christian absolutely must do. You are under the obligation to do so, and if you fail to do so, then you have forsaken the assembling of yourselves together, as Hebrews ten and twenty five teaches. And unless you're deathly ill, or unless you've been thrown in jail you don't ever forsake the assembly. And if you've been thrown in jail, it better be for preaching the gospel.
1: (laughs) Obviously, we've changed our position since then.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, and here's what's hilarious is... This is, and I just changed my position on this recently because back in March, whenever this first started, I was still under the impression and was still promoting the idea of, well, so what if there's a pandemic we're going to meet together? That's what the Bible teaches us we must do. And this whole pandemic has been really a, a one of the blessings that's come from, and it. it's a terrible thing, but at least there's some good that has come from it. And part of that good was me doubling down and reevaluating Hebrews 10 and 25 in its context to see, is that really what it teaches? Does Hebrews 10, 25 mean that you must attend every single church service, or at the very least, the Sunday meeting? No matter what, no matter what you have going on in your life, this is something you must do. Is that really the case? And that's really what we're going to be discussing today.
1: Yeah, growing up, this was a uh Verse that I would hear quite often. And then, of course, when I became a preacher, I would preach all sorts of lessons and do sermons, Bible classes, articles on Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. And I found that there were different camps of beliefs with Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, and there really still is today. You have those who believe Hebrews 10, 25 is just referring to what we call the Sunday morning assembly, usually in the Churches of Christ. That's what, that's what we know it is, the Sunday morning assembly. And then you have some who believe that it was a reference to not just Sunday morning assembly, but Bible class and even Sunday evening assembly. If your church attend uh, has a meeting on Sunday evening, the belief w- is that you would have to attend on Sunday evening as well. And then some even took it as far to say if you you had a Bible study during the week, like a Wednesday night midweek study, or if you had a revival or a gospel meeting, then you were obligated, based upon Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, to go to every single one of those meetings. So even among churches who hold to a very conservative idea of this presupposition that Hebrews 10, 25 teaches you have to go to quote unquote church service there's still going to be disagreement from different groups of thought, even within that paradigm. And just to let you know how extreme some people are, I want to bring up my ex-girlfriend from many, 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 many years ago. And there's no doubt in my mind, she's not listening to this. (laughs) (laughs) Um, No, there, actually, I know that she, she, would would not be listening to this whatsoever, and uh I had a lot of ex girlfriends so nobody would really know who this is anyway uh but <laughs> there was
0: you scalawag. hey
1: this was this was years ago i'm a happily married man and and I'm thankful I married bethany and and not this uh young lady I'm about to talk about uh no offense to her of course i think she's <laughs> she's a good Christian we just have a different way of viewing things so this was back in two thousand and six I believe. I was in preaching school and we would go to different lectureships with uh, me and the different students would speak at these lectureships. Our professors would would take us to, to different meetings to be able to do that a few times a year. And there was this one particular, it was about three days, I believe, a Friday through Sunday lectureship. And we each got to speak on this and this congregation, this particular church hosted us. And between Friday night or Friday afternoon to Sunday morning, I believe it was twelve to thirteen different lessons and church services during that time period.
0: <laughs> yeah, buddy, getting dipped Ooh, in it, aren't man. you? Man,
1: so we all got to speak, and of course, when we each spoke, we sung worship songs and prayed, and uh, so each each one of these segments was really like an hour church service. So you're you're looking at about thirteen different church services with just three, within just three days. So on the way home, we left after church that morning, church service that morning, and we went to uh, to lunch. And on our way back home, I was talking to my ex-girlfriend and my girlfriend at that time. And she said, well, were you going to attend worship tonight? And I said, what were you talking about? She said, well, you're going to attend worship tonight, aren't you? I said, well, we've just got gotten done with 13 for lack of better words, thirteen worship, worship services, services <laughs> over the past few days, and she goes, "Well, yeah, but Hebrews ten twenty five says you're not to forsake the assembly, and you need to make sure that you go somewhere tonight." And, you know, that that shows you, by the way, just how conservative some folks can be. And of course, I ended up agreeing with her. I'm like, yeah, you're right. What am I thinking? I don't want to forsake the assembly. So I ended up convincing all of the guys in the bus to have a church service, a worship service, so that we could say that we did not forsake the assembly. That's that's <laughs> definitely more of the extreme idea. Uh, but then you do have those, as discussed just a moment ago, who believe that as long as you go to Sunday morning worship, then you're not forsaking the assembling of the saints. That's the general idea. Somewhere between those ideas is probably where most people land. But we yeah. really want to challenge that whole framework, that whole presupposition on Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, and reevaluate it and ask, what does Hebrews 10, 25 really mean? And what assembly is it even referring to?
0: Yeah, and, and what I'd like to do, if we can, I'd like to take a moment and just read that passage so that our audience, which most of our audience, if you've come from the Churches of Christ tradition, then you're familiar with this passage. You've heard it taught on. But there's some of our audience that may not have heard this verse quoted. I mean, anytime I hear someone say Hebrews ten twenty five, I can recite it from memory. But let's go ahead and and read this just, just for our audience's benefit. And verse 23 is where we'll start our reading. Um, The Hebrew writer says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promises faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin. But a certain fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. So, this is the passage under consideration, especially verse 25, which in the King James and New King James says that you don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together as the habit of some is, but exhorting one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. So, That's the passage we're referring to. And like Kevin said, and like you said, man, there are people that have taken this passage. I was one of them and have taken this passage and used it and have looked at it and interpreted in such a way that makes church attendance an obligation. It is mandatory and it is something that you absolutely must do if you're a Christian. I would have even gone so far as to said, and I taught this, that if you forsake the assembling, well, that means you haven't come to church. It's just this simple, you just don't miss church. So then what does that mean as it relates to to missing church? What happens if you do miss church? Well, verse 26 tells us there's a fiery, you know, there's a fiery penalty for that. What what does it say exactly? Let me pull this up again. That if you go on sinning deliberately, you see if you miss church, you've sinned deliberately after you've received the knowledge of the truth, and there no longer remains a sacrifice for your sin. If you miss church, you're sinning willfully, and there's a fearful expectation of judgment and a furious fire that will consume you if you become adversarial against God, and you do so if you forsake the assembly. I used to teach that, and I think it'd be fair to say that you probably did too, at least Maybe not to that strong well, of a if, degree. If I, even I wanted, if I
1: wanted to keep a relationship with a girl back in two thousand six, you better believe I taught that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> no, but this, this was
1: definitely something that I taught, and I believed. I didn't take it to the extent of believing that it it literally meant every single possible church service, I was more of the lines that you really needed to attend at least Sunday morning, which is the main gathering. And and if you can, you should be attending as many other services as you possibly could. But when you look at the sincerity of so many people on this topic, I never want to be antagonistic towards those who is taking Hebrews chapter 20, 10, 25 to, to to really emphasize the importance of attending church assemblies. While I disagree with that interpretation, and we'll explain why here in just a moment, I understand why people believe that way. I respect individuals who hold to that position, but I do believe that it can teach some things that are can be harmful, that can be harmful to individual yeah. church members and Christians. For example, I've heard people tell say that if you are worshiping on sunday morning but you're not worshiping on sunday night or if you can't come to bible class or if you're not able to worship every sunday morning let's say that you have a job or your job requires that you work once one sunday out of the month then you need to actually quit that job in order to follow hebrews chapter 10 verse 25 and i have seen people follow through with that and put themselves in a really bad situation that harmed their own livelihood their own family and so this is a teaching that can have some really negative effects and consequences to it if not if, if it's not prop taught uh, according to context. And that's something we're about to look at. But yeah, I've, I've seen people teach that if you go on vacation, you need to make sure that you assemble somewhere. You, you can't just uh, worship with your family. You have to make sure you're going to a church service, a corporate institutional church service to say that you're not forsaking the assembly. And you see this. A lot of preachers really harp on this in order to get people in the pews every Sunday uh, and, and making sure that people are there every time the doors are open because they can they can bark Hebrews ten twenty five at you if, if you're not.
0: Yeah, and, and whenever you look at the context, as we will do shortly, it's, it becomes apparent whenever you look at the context of the entire chapter and you look at the context of the book of Hebrews itself, that is not what the Hebrew writer had in mind. That is the furthest thing from his mind whatsoever whenever we look at the context, which we'll do in a moment. But, you know, you're mentioning these these people that have been put in binds because they'll quit their jobs or or whatever else because they're required to work one Sunday out of the month. It puts them in a bind. From the pulpit, you never really hear that, though. Anytime you hear a message on this, you always hear of the people that, you know, did go ahead and quit that job and they had a better job and made more money and it was better all the way around and they were willing to do it. And, and I'm sure those are things that have happened. I mean, I know people that that has happened to, but I also know of people that, you know, had become destitute because of changes in their job because of their convictions as well. And so whenever you say there's ramifications to this type of theology and this type of approach to this passage and what it teaches or what some suppose that it teaches, there can be some far-reaching implications. And I can't help but wonder just how much the the surge of the COVID pandemic has been quelled by some of these churches going to, you know, a virtual worship service, so to speak. And you know, like I said earlier, it, it wasn't that long ago at the beginning of this surge, I was still in that camp. So a lot of the changes that you and I have gone through that we have talked about, these are changes that have been years in the making. These have been changes that, that have gone over the course of years or that happened years ago This change for me on this is something that is, it's very recent. It's only within the past few months that I studied this and my perspective on this changed. But I was sincere whenever I held the other position. Whenever I held the position that Hebrews 10, 25 teaches mandatory church attendance, I was absolutely sincere in that. I wasn't trying to guilt trip anybody. I believe that that's what this passage taught. And if I wanted to demonstrate my fidelity to God, that this is one of those ways that I was required as one of God's people to do so. We were both sincere whenever we taught it this way, but... It doesn't do justice to the context of the verse itself, and when you don't take the context into consideration and you pull verses out of context in order to make your point, you're doing the scriptures a disservice in that process.
1: Yeah, and I know that I've been guilty of that on on a lot of things. I sure I'm sure that I still am on something. <laughs> I'm not above believing that there there are things that I need to still learn. In fact, I know there are many things that I still need to learn, and I but I try to be very purposeful when I'm looking at the context, especially at passages that have been traditionally just regurgitated as this is what you're supposed to, to, this is what this passage means and this is what you're supposed to do. And instead of really just digging deep into that passage or context, I just accepted at face value. And I did that with a lot of things when I was a teacher. I recently had someone say, well, what have you not changed on, Kevin? And I said, well, there's been several things I have not changed on. I said, but when I was growing up, these are just beliefs that I adopted. And it wasn't until the past 10 or so years that I started restudying for myself to actually come to my own personal faith. And Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25 happens to be one of those Bible verses and passages. When we look at the context of this, let's go ahead and jump right into this, because I think everyone understands at this point what we're talking about. When you look at Hebrews 10, 25, it's important, first of all, to remember that the Bible was not written to us, but it was written for us. And that's when you're reading any Bible passage. You cannot read the Bible as if it was written to you, because it's not. (laughs) It's it's written for us, but not directly to us. That's one thing to to keep in mind. Something else to remember is that the New Testament should not be read as some sort of Christian constitution. And when I hear preachers quote Hebrews 10.25 as a way to try to get people to come to their worship assembly, that already is a red flag, because a group of Christians should always want to be together. A group of Christians should enjoy coming together, worshiping God, and encouraging each other. So when someone has to quote Hebrews 10.25 as a way to coerce people to just come to quote-unquote church service— you're, there's already a problem there. There's already a deeper problem at play, and quoting Hebrews ten twenty five is not going to be the answer if someone doesn't want to actually be around other Christians.
0: Yeah. That
1: that's that's something else to consider. But when we look at the context in Hebrews ten twenty three and twenty four, the writer told these Jewish Christians to hold on to their hope, and then he said to stir one another up to love and good works. Contextually and throughout the New Testament. The primary usage of hope is connected with the return of Jesus and the resurrection of believers. I'm not sure if, if, if you knew that or not. I know I didn't until I really started honing in on this. But whenever you see the word hope, it's not just some sort of pie-in-the-sky hope. It's not a flip of the coin, and it's not even some sort of a generic hope. It's a very specific hope. And it's tied to the return of Jesus and the, the gathering of all believers, the resurrection of believers. We see this in Acts 23, verse 6, Acts 24, 15, Acts 26, 6, Acts 28, 20, Ephesians 1, 18 through 21, Romans 8, 19 through 25, 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 and 14, and Titus chapter 2, verse 13, as well as other passages So as to not lose their hope, the writer of Hebrews admonished these Christians that they continue their fellowship with one another to stir one another up to love and good works. And in Hebrews 10, 25, you'll notice there's also an important word that says, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves. The word forsake means to abandon. It doesn't mean to miss every now and then. It doesn't mean to skip. It means to abandon. There were Christians who had made it their habit, as the text goes on to say, to abandon whatever is going on here. What this this whole idea of losing their hope and, and and making sure that they're encouraging one another, and so that they don't lose their hope in this gathering that's under consideration. All of these things that the writer of Hebrews is talking about is attached to people who were abandoning all of these things. So this is much different. Than someone who goes on vacation or someone who has to work and because of their uh, working and because of their job, because they're working to provide for their family and making sure that they have enough food for to put on their table for their family. That's not what this is talking about. This isn't talking about someone who maybe once every quarter or once every few months can't assemble with a group of Christians. This is someone who would altogether abandon whatever's taking place here in Hebrews chapter 10.
0: Yeah. And whenever you look at that word to abandon and you dig into it, that was really the linchpin for me that helped to shift my thinking on this is you, those people in those churches, especially in light of COVID, those churches that are meeting remotely or that are meeting virtually, they're not abandoning meeting together. They're not shuttering the doors. They're not completely dismissing services. They're not getting away from all that. And the people that are meeting together in homes, and that's that's a whole other story for a whole other time um within the one cup movement there there have been there's been a big argument and a big discussion over if a uh, congregation does elect to stop meeting for a period of time because of covid whether the members can meet in their homes well there are people that are saying well that's fine and then there are other people that are saying well that's a divided assembly and if you're doing that it's it's anyway that's that's neither here nor there but the point is is that it's not being abandoned and What Hebrews 10.25 is discussing is, is it's discussing the meeting together of Christians for a specific purpose. And that purpose is to encourage one another. That purpose is to stir one another up to love and good works. That is to instill a deeper sense of community, to instill a deeper bond and a deeper connection that exists. Now, what's really interesting to me about Hebrews 10.25, or really within the context of the entire chapter of Hebrews, and really maybe even the whole book of Hebrews, is that you don't see any reference to a worship assembly, to a church service as we know it today. That's not on their Hebrew writer's radar. There's no mention in this. There's no implication in this that this has to do with what we would call going to church today. It's, it's not talking about that. And there are many Christians that... Associate that word "assembly" with going to church, and by going to church, they mean going to a building and sitting in a pew or a chair for an hour, singing a few songs, hearing a few prayers, and to sleep through. Or oh, wait, 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 to listen to the preacher get up there and ply his trade and to deliver their understanding of what the scriptures teach. But the Hebrew writer isn't talking about a church service here. The Hebrew writer is telling these Christians, keep getting together so that you can hold on to your hope. Keep getting together so you don't abandon that that love that you have for one another, that you can stir one another up, that you can encourage one another to keep going, that you can hang on. And that's certainly something that can happen when we do gather together to worship in a quote-unquote corporate sense. But that's not the thrust of what the Hebrew writer is getting at.
1: No, not at all. And if you look at Hebrews chapter 10, which I would encourage everyone who's listening to this to first read the whole book of Hebrews, but specifically chapter 10, since this is the context that we're working within, when you start in Hebrews chapter 10, it's talking about Jesus being the ultimate sacrifice and how it was never God's will for there to be animal sacrifices. That was all accommodative to bring us to Jesus and how Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice. Jesus is the the, the high priest. Jesus is the one that, that we serve. And because of that, in verse 19, it says, Therefore, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Verse 23 says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. All of this is talking about faith in Jesus Christ. The fact that now we can approach God, we can have this hope, we can have this relationship with Jesus Christ. Something that the, those under the old covenant could not do. We can now do as Christians under this new covenant. And in verse 23, the latter part, it says, for he who promised is faithful. And then goes on to say, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. The problem is that there were a lot of Christians who were abandoning their faith according to this context. They weren't just not coming on Sunday morning worship. That's not even the context as you just pointed out, Lee. That's not what's going on. That's not even what the writer of Hebrews is talking about. There were those who had lost their hope. There were those who had lost their faith. And because of that, the writer of Hebrews is encouraging the other Christians who still have their hope and who still have their faith to make sure that they consider one another, how they can continue to encourage one another. That's why they were to be meeting. Nothing in this context is about some sort of what we would think of church assembly, much less a Sunday morning worship assembly. That's not what the writer of Hebrews is talking about. When you look at this context, and I know that's hard, that's very difficult, if that's what you have always believed, because you've heard that quoted so many times. But I encourage you to reframe your thinking, try to put the presuppositions out of your mind, read Hebrews chapter 10, study this whole context, and you'll find Hebrews 10, 23 through 25, is saying that Christians should not neglect gathering together with one another, that Christians need to make sure that they are still fellowshipping one another. It doesn't say how that's done. It doesn't say when that's done, because it's going to be different for different Christians, especially when you're dealing with the first century and there was a lot of persecution. In Acts chapter 2, it says that they met daily. And I don't know of very many churches who are saying, okay, every single day we're going to start having a church service because the way yeah. they did things back then was so different than the way we do it today. But the the whole point is that Christians do not need to give up meeting with one another. They do not need to give up their fellowship with one another. And here's what's interesting. I know of a lot of Christians who attend a institutional corporate church service every week They go to Bible class every week, and yet they still have contacted me over the years. Lee, I know they've contacted you as well, and they have said, we don't have Christian community where I go to church. Yeah, which sounds like an oxymoron, because that means you really don't have a church because the church is supposed to be the people. It's supposed to be the community. When we talk about gathering together, that's what the church should be. It should be community that that should be a given. And unfortunately, because of the way in which many churches today are set up more like a business than they are a communal family, there are a lot of people who can just go in, sit down in a pew get up and leave, and they think because they did that, they are being obedient to Hebrews 10.25. And I firmly believe that is a gross misunderstanding and application of Hebrews 10.25. And I dare say there's a lot of people who do go to an institutional church week in and week out, corporate worship service, and they are still failing to, to follow Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, because they're really not meeting with other Christians and stirring each other up for love and good works.
0: Amen, brother. And I, I think that's absolutely spot on. And that's the biggest thing that jumped out at me whenever I reevaluated this idea some months ago. It's plain, or rather it seems plain to me. And, and I, I want to be careful saying that because it seemed plain to me last year. To say that Hebrews 10.25 is teaching mandatory church church service. But whenever you begin to examine the reality that goes on in so many of the churches that exist out there, just like you said, people have contacted you. People have contacted me that says, we don't have community here. And that community is what the Hebrew writer is speaking to. He's speaking to stirring up love and good works and encouraging one another. That's a deeply personal interaction. That is something that you don't do with a surface level relationship that you have with somebody. This is something that you do because you know someone, you have gotten to know them on on a deeper level this is more than just superficial hey how are you how are you doing oh doing great did you see the cowboys game the other day yep they're terrible this year yep they sure are maybe they'll get some good draft picks that's not stirring one another up to love and good works whenever you have a little five-minute conversation about how the cowboys are doing before church starts and whenever the hebrew writer wrote his letter the concept of church wasn't a place that you went and the word for church in the New Testament, it's used somewhere around 114, 115 times. It always refers to people. It always refers to the individuals that make up that group. It refers to the group. It doesn't refer to a place. And in the first 300 years of Christianity, Christians didn't have special buildings they met in. Mm-hmm. They met at homes. They Sometimes they met in already existing buildings for a special or for temporary purpose. You have Solomon's porch and Acts 5 and the school of Tyrannus and Acts 19. But the idea that church is something we go to, we go, we sit in the pew, we warm the pew, we eat our cracker or break a piece off the bread and drink from the cup or (laughs) shoot back a thimble full of grape juice that we've done our duty in doing that. You're not stirring one another up to love and good works. It isn't a fulfillment of Hebrews 10.25 in that. Now, you can fulfill Hebrews 10.25 in meeting together in a corporate sense. That is a possibility. And I think that Hebrews 10.25 within its scope can include that, but it's that's a way different perspective than saying that it teaches a mandatory church attendance.
1: Right. This isn't you get your golden star if you come every time you you show up. And you see this happening with a lot of churches and just not just within certain denominations, but really cross denominational. You have churches who are losing their members and people and preachers and pastors. They'll say, we're just losing, losing all of our members to the world. Nobody wants to be a part of the church anymore that can't be further from the truth in a lot of instances people are leaving not the church they're trying to find the church is what yeah. they're doing because they, they, and and I can't tell you the the dozens of people and I know that may they may that may not sound like a whole lot but when I say dozens I'm talking about just people who I've personally spoken with because I'm friends with a lot of preachers and the dozens of of preachers and and just Christians that I've spoken with, other church leaders who have said that their members recently through COVID have complimented the fact that they're getting to know their members better because they have done smaller church groups and homes. They have done virtual meetings. And through that, they've gotten to know their members in ways that they didn't even know one another before. And in that sense, they're actually at that point following Hebrews ten twenty five much much closer to the text than those who say, well, no, no matter what, we're we, you, you've got to have your bottom in the pew and, and, and at this building at 9 o'clock in order for us to say that we're meeting together. And that's simply just not true. So while it could be the case that someone gets their fellowship and someone does get encouraged, and I hope anybody who worships with other Christians is encouraged, I, I can see how a principle could be pulled from Hebrews 10.25 as a way of saying, hey, this is one way we can help encourage each other. But to say that that's what Hebrews 10.25 is actually talking about within context is to do disservice to the context because Hebrews 10.25 is not talking about a church worship assembly. It is talking about Christians simply getting together together. And encouraging one another. And this seems so foreign to a lot of people. And here's why, yeah. Lee. Here's why this seems so foreign to a lot of people. The only time most Christians get together is on Sunday morning. They're not getting yeah. together during the week. They don't have relationships with people a- at their church. And I know there's going to be some people listening to this who take exception to that and say, wait a minute. Now there are some people who do. And of course there are some people who do. But the general rule is is that most people see corporate institutional church as an obligation that they don't want to do. They see it more or less more or less as a checklist, it's something that if they're completely honest, don't get anything out of. They just feel like it's what they're supposed to be doing and people point back to Hebrews 10:25, this is just what we got to do. And that cannot be further from the truth. That makes that makes Christianity a checklist, it makes it a legalistic process. It's not personal at all. It doesn't even fulfill the very purpose in which Christians should be gathering together, which is to encourage one another and stir each other up to love and good works. So that's why we have to be so diligent when we hear people quote verses that have been quoted a hundred times and just assume and presuppose that it means what we think that it's always meant. We have to challenge those presuppositions and realize that oftentimes there's much more below the surface than just what our preacher is telling us or what we've always heard traditionally throughout the ages. So the bottom line is, do I believe Hebrews 10:25 is saying you have to go to church? No. I don't think it's anywhere near that. I believe it's saying that Christians need to meet together. Christians need to enjoy fellowship with one another. And if you want a good cross reference, Hebrews chapter 3 verse 13 is a phenomenal cross reference because it's in the same letter that this writer of Hebrews wrote. And he says they're to encourage one another daily. So if there is any kind of significance to time that we're going to attach to Hebrews 10, 25, it would be daily because this yeah. is what the writer of Hebrews is saying. But I don't believe he is giving this Bible verse, as as I stated earlier, some sort of Christian constitution or, or a policy that we have to follow. What he's saying is make it a part of your regular life to fellowship with Christians. Don't stop. Don't stop fellowshipping with other believers. Continue gathering with Christians. Don't forsake and abandon your Christianity. Don't forsake and abandon those fellowships. But there's also, well, do you have anything else to say? Because I've got another point I wanted to make, but it, I didn't No, know. dude,
0: that's good. No, nah, keep on trucking, brother. So, you're, you're, you're pretty much saying everything that I'm wanting to say. <laughs> as it pops up, you're getting there. So I'm just, just keep rolling, brother. Well, there, there's another possibility to this text as well.
1: And that is that the phrase meet together is from one Greek word, and I'm not even going to try to pronounce it because I can barely even pronounce English words, and most of the time I get those wrong.
0: <laughs> the Alabama wild man. That's right. Again. That's right. Yes. Hooked
1: on phonics did not work for me, friends. <laughs> but the phrase meet together in the in the Greek is one word, and this word is a noun, and the only other place it's found is in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Uh, yeah, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. And I want to actually turn here to read this. It's 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. I'm actually going to pull it up here. And it is 1 and 2. And here it says, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to Him. So that word gathered, gathered to Him, that is the same Greek word gathered that we see in Hebrews chapter 10 verse 25. Here it's in association with the coming of Jesus Christ and all Christians gathering together. Why is that interesting? It's interesting because when you go to Hebrews chapter 10, what's under consideration in Hebrews chapter 10? The day that the writer of Hebrews is talking about is the day on which Jesus is going to come back. Now, if you're a preterist like our friend Daniel, he believed that already happened in eighty seventy. If you're a futurist, that's still sometime in the future. Either way, it was in the future to those he was writing to in the book of Hebrews. So when you look at Hebrews chapter 10 and you continue reading, you'll find that in verse 37, it says, For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. What's he talking about? He's talking about the coming of Jesus Christ and the gathering together of all the saints. When you look at other Bible verses, because this word, remember, that's the only time that this word is found, the only other place it's found as a noun is in 2 Thessalonians 2, 1 and 2. There are other times that this same phrase is used in the New Testament when it is used as a verb. And every time it's used, guess what it's in reference to?
0: My guess would be it's referencing the coming of Jesus.
1: Yes, it's so, talking about a
0: gathering with Him. Yeah, yeah.
1: Either either the, the the future gathering or it was talking about just a gathering with Christ. So a, a current gathering or a future gathering, but it was always a gathering with Christ. Matthew twenty three twenty seven, Matthew twenty four thirty and thirty one, Mark one thirty three, and Luke chapter twelve verse ten. Based upon this information. Some have actually concluded that the writer of Hebrews is not even talking about a current assembly per se. Rather, this view argues that what the writer of Hebrews is saying is that they do not need to forsake their hope of the coming Messiah, the future coming Messiah, and the gathering together of all Christians, that the assembly and that the hope that they were forsaking was of this future assembly. The hope of this future assembly is what they were forsaking. Not actually a current assembly, but they were forsaking their hope of this future assembly. And the reason they point to that is because the way that this word or phrase, or that's translated a phrase, but this word is used throughout the New Testament. If that conclusion is correct, then Hebrews 10.25 is not even discussing a present gathering at all But it's discussing a future gathering and the forsaking that people were involved in was a forsaking of their hope. And we see this played out in Hymenaeus and Philetus. We see this where um, Paul actually talks about how they have overthrown the faith of some because they were teaching that the resurrection had already passed. They were teaching that Jesus had already come. So this seems to be a correlation with Hebrews chapter 10, at least in part, as to why people were losing their hope. And that's why Christians were to continue together with one another or encourage one another so that they don't forsake that hope of this future gathering. I'm not sure if I'm completely bought into that understanding, but I do want to bring it up because there are many good Bible students and scholars who hold to that interpretation. I do believe it's, it, it has a lot of validity to it within context.
0: Well, and it makes a lot of sense within that context. And I can definitely see how that might be the thrust of what the Hebrew writer is trying to get at and what the Hebrew writer is actually discussing. Like you, though, I don't think I'm there. It does make sense. And I can definitely see if someone holds that conclusion, why they would hold that conclusion and why they would believe that in all sincerity. But it just that doesn't. It doesn't really work for me. And maybe that is the case. Maybe that is what the Hebrew writer getting at. But even so, the case can still be made of Christian fellowship in a present gathering as it stands now the idea communicated that Christians need to continue to make sure that they're meeting together. Don't stop getting together with each other. Don't stop having fellowship with each other. Don't ignore one another or you'll lose that hope. Keep getting together. Don't neglect that hope. Stir up love and good works with one another. Have community. And whether that's happening daily, as we read in Acts chapter two and in Hebrews three, you mentioned that earlier, whether it happens weekly or whether it happens occasionally, first Corinthians 11 and 18, It doesn't mean that you can't have that or you won't have that in a weekly church service. That can certainly happen. But the point that we're just beaten to death here is that that's not the only way that it can happen. And that's certainly not what the Hebrew writer had in mind when they penned that passage. They're talking about either that future gathering or they're talking about a current gathering in order to maintain that hope within one another.
1: As you pointed out, we've been beating this over and over again, and and, and I, I know and I hope people see that we're beating this over and over again because when something has been beaten into you for so long, you you have to kind of beat it out of yourself. And this was something we had to beat out of ourselves when we were studying because yeah. most people cannot think of Hebrews ten twenty five without thinking, oh, I've got to go to church. I've got to make sure I'm at church. And when they think of church, they think of that Sunday morning assembly. Christians have to reorient themselves. To the idea of church instead of saying, oh, I've got to go to church. It's, oh, I need to make sure I'm staying engaged with my fellow brethren. I need to make sure yeah. that I'm in touch and we are holding each other accountable. And I'm having fellowship with my with my brothers and sisters in Christ. Many people today, and I say many, not as a as hyperbole or, or exaggeration,
0: many, literally many, many yeah.
1: people today go to, quote unquote, church and. And they do so because it's an easy way they can just slip in and slip out. I mean, there, there are churches who, they call them mega churches for a reason. And it's just where you go, you slip in and you slip out. I have friends who go to churches, who go to congregations and churches that are bigger, you know, thousands of people. They say, they don't even know hardly anybody. That is, how in the world can we, have we been so confused to the point where we think that slipping in and slipping out. Of a modern day institutional uh, church service the way that it is today is, is somehow encouraging one another in the sense of what we see in Hebrews chapter three and Hebrews chapter 10 and Acts chapter 2. That's not what's going on in these texts. Do I believe Christians are to worship God? Yes. Do I believe Christians are to assemble together worship God? Absolutely. But is Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25 talking about that? Specifically, no, I do not believe it is. I believe it is just emphasizing the need for Christians to continue to have fellowship with one another. And many institutional churches today, the way that they have created their environment is in such a way where it actually can be hard to even meet Christians and have that true fellowship unless you meet people outside of that so-called corporate worship hour.
0: Exactly. and. That's one thing that I want to be sure that we emphasize. Neither Kevin or I are saying that you don't need to attend church and you just need to ignore it. What we're saying is, is that attending worship is a good thing. It's a fulfilling thing, and it can be a source of encouragement for a lot of people. I know I have personally been uplifted. I have personally been encouraged. I have received tremendous blessing whenever I have assembled together in that corporate worship with the saints, with my brothers and sisters, there have been many times that that has been just the ticket that I needed to help overcome something in my life. Right. But we need to be real here and we need to be truthful. It it doesn't always work that way because there have been times where there's been plenty of discouragement to go around over the years as well. There have been times where I've been down in the dumps and then there's nothing like being down in the dumps and having, you know, a struggle that you're working through But you don't really feel like you can discuss it with your brethren because you haven't forged those deep relationships and you're not really leaning on one another. They're just people that you kind of know loosely and you're just acquainted with them. And you show up to church and the preacher gets up and preaches some blistering, excoriating, hellfire and brimstone, Kevin Pendergrass circa 2008 (laughs) type sermon. Or Lee Grant, circa you know two thousand and nine type sermon that just rips into some cohort or some person or whatever else, or they get up and they preach some lesson that makes you feeling even more hopeless than you were before, and you're and you're left thinking, I know I've been left thinking before, why do I even bother? What is the point in even coming to church and doing all of this if I am so deplorable and so disgusting in God's eyes that I can't possibly be satisfying to Him, that I can't possibly be pleasing to Him? I know I have felt that way before, and I cringe and I shudder to think that my preaching in years gone by was a source of that for someone else that that was that i wasn't encouraging one another that i wasn't you know stirring somebody up through my teaching or through my actions or through my inactions even i mean if we're going to be real for all of the good that can come from attending the worship there's a chance for discouragement there as well. It can definitely happen. And you can make the argument that attending church is important, and I think it is, and you can even make the the argument that an appointment every week, that attendance is mandatory, but you can't make that case from Hebrews 10.25 and still respect the context. You just can't.
1: Well, and so much of this gets to the heart of how we understand Scripture and i made mention of this at the very beginning when i was talking about the way in which we view the new testament if we come to the new testament and say okay well i've got to have a bible verse in order to to obligate someone to do something or i've got to make sure that you know i'm doing every little thing it says as if i'm reading a straightforward uh, you like a magic eight ball. You know, do I have to yeah, go, do re- I have to go to church this Sunday? Let me shake it up and see what the Bible says. Oh, Hebrews yeah, ten re- twenty five. The answer is yes.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's case law. Yeah, you're treating it like case law. This is what the law says. Right. Don't speak, Don't go over fifty five miles an hour. or Don't go over twenty in a school zone to make sure you make it in church by ten o'clock on Sunday morning.
1: Yeah, and all all of those things fly in the face of what Christian freedom looks like, what New Testament worship looks like, and that's going to be a completely different. Podcast episode. In fact, we had originally recorded a podcast episode where we got into all that, and after five hours, we decided it would be better to break it <laughs> down a no, I'm just kidding; it was only like four and a half. But uh, <laughs> but we decided it would be better to break it down because this really is a foundational lesson. Because I keep saying things, and Lee keeps saying things like, "You don't go to church; we are the church," and institutional Christianity and corporate worship worship service, and those words that they, they may uh they may have stood out to you and you're you're wondering what does kevin mean by institutional church i mean isn't this church isn't the, this is the way we're supposed to be doing things well i don't believe in a lot of ways it is <laughs> and and i know lee is right there with me on on some of this that we're going to be discussing here in the future that it begins with reframing our understanding of worship but even before we can get to that point we have to look at the fact that christians should desire fellowship. Christians should want to get together. And and, and sometimes we do have to hold each other accountable. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. I'm admonishing you. I'm instructing you. Don't give up your hope. The writer of Hebrews, this is a letter for crying out loud. He's not saying, all right, now here's number, you know, command number 614. Here's what you have to do. He's saying, (laughs) hey, there's some of you who've lost your hope. There's some of you who've lost your faith. And in order to avoid that, continue gathering together, continuing, uh, make sure you're fellowshipping with each other. Make sure you're keeping those Christian relationships strong. That's all he's doing here. And if and if we read the Bible differently than that, we're obviously going to come to different conclusions, which is why we once came to different conclusions than where we're currently at today, because the way I read the Bible, the way I read the New Testament is not like the way I read the Old Testament. It's completely different. And because of that, we have to be careful to not just uh, just just cherry pick these verses that we want and make a law and then just allude to Hebrews ten twenty five as if that's just undeniably true, we have to look at this and look at the bigger picture and say, if we have a group of Christians, a community of Christians who don't even know each other, who, who don't like being around each other, is God's will for us to try to find a way to coerce them in by just quoting a Bible verse or perhaps yeah. God's desire is for us to start loving one another, for us to start building relationships, for us to start becoming more vulnerable. And how does that happen? It doesn't happen when I'm passively sitting in a pew. It happens when I'm in the homes of my Christian brethren. It happens when I'm meeting with my brothers and sisters in Christ in a in a, in a normal, organic friendship way not because I'm just forced to, to be in this pew one hour every single week. And man, I know we are repeating ourselves over and over and over. So I heard somebody say, uh, I don't mince my words, but I sure do repeat them. And, and that's, that's, something, <laughs> that's something that we, we do because we want people to know the importance of laying this foundation. First and foremost, Hebrews 10, 25 is not about what we know to be a corporate worship assembly at all. It's not even a legislative law. I'll just go ahead and throw that out there too.
0: Not at all. And whenever we treat it like that, we ignore the genre, we ignore the discourse, and we talk some about that. And we're going to talk more about that in in future episodes. But when we put all this together, what we see in Hebrews ten twenty five, as we have said ad nauseum in this episode, as we wrap this up, the idea is that we meet together because we need community. We meet together because we need one another. I need you. You need me. And we build one another up. We are the whole body working together towards that common goal of knowing God and making him known to the world. And whenever we do that, we're far more effective when we truly know each other and we truly love each other and we are able to encourage one another and lift one another up to help bear one another's burdens. And in doing that, we fulfill the law of Christ. Hebrews 10.25 means Get together, be a community, be people that know one another and love each other. That's the thrust of what is being taught in this passage. Well, do you have anything else that you want to throw in there before we wrap this up?
1: There's probably going to be a lot of questions from this episode. We love questions because that helps us know what we need to spend more time on. If there's been anything that you've heard that seems offsetting to you, it's confusing, Maybe you're not sure what we meant. You would like for us to go into more detail on something. And that's with every episode, but especially an episode like this, because there's so many different areas that this affects. If there is a question you have, please email us. You can email me directly. You can email Lee. I'm even back on Facebook, Lee. How about that, man?
0: Man, I'm so happy. We can cause trouble together.
1: I would say back by popular demand, but it really wasn't. (laughs)
0: Oh man, for everyone that's happy, there are probably twice that many that are upset by it, but that's okay. We love you. But
1: ask us questions. I know people are listening to this. We're averaging over 200 downloads, at least an episode right now, which the fact that we've done little to no marketing, uh, uh, at least no paid marketing, we've just really uh, just have been letting our friends know about it and they've been sharing it with their friends. So we know people are listening to this. If you're listening to this and you have questions, we're not going to be upset. We're not going to be mad. We're trying to figure all this stuff out together too. We want you to join us on that journey. Please send us your questions and we will try to do the best we can to give our explanation of what we're talking about
0: absolutely we have our show email down in the show notes so we invite you to reach out to us we love hearing from you I know Kevin loves talking with you guys whenever you holler at him I love talking with you guys when you holler at me we're both social guys and as you can tell from this near one hour runtime on discussing one verse we're gregarious we like to talk we enjoy this kind of thing so this is this is right up our alley we enjoy it and something that Kevin did not do but that I will do for him it's the holiday season if you have a friend or a loved one that would benefit from reading one of the best books that I have ever read, and I don't say that hyperbolically, and I don't say that just to stroke Kevin's ego. One of the best books I have ever read on the subject of legalism. Kevin is running a special on his book that he wrote, A Different Kind of Poison. How Legalism Destroys Grace. It's available on Amazon Kindle. If you have a smartphone, an iPad, or even a Kindle e-reader, you can download that book for $3, bucks, yep. 2 dollars 99 It's as cheap as Kevin could possibly make it because Kevin's interest in this and my interest in this align. We don't make any money from this podcast. We don't have any interest in making any money from this podcast. Kevin doesn't have any interest in making any money from this podcast or from that book that he wrote or anything. We love people. We have been in these places that so many of you listeners have been in or that you're currently in, and we have found a better way forward, a more contextual way forward, and we strongly desire to share that with all of our audience. So if you're interested in Kevin's book, search for it, buy it, download it, share it with your friends. It's an excellent, excellent read. And if and
1: if, $2.99, if $2.99 is too much, I'll give it to you for free, a free PDF copy just let me know your email and I'll make sure you get it. There's some people out there who don't feel like they can purchase it because they would somehow be supporting something they don't agree with before they're able to read it. And I understand that that's how I used to be because of that. If you feel that way, let me know your email. I'll send you a free PDF copy. The 299 99 is already pretty low, but I'm willing to go even lower and give it to you for free. I'm concerned with just getting this information out. That's, that's, that's why I'm doing this. I have another job, Lee's got another job. That's how we make our income. This is just what we do because we've been there. We've done that. We've had the same questions. We've gone through the same troubles and heartaches. We want people to know that we're there with you to walk through that journey. You're not alone.
0: Absolutely. Well, Kevin, thanks again, brother. Appreciate you. To our audience, we thank all of you. Buy Kevin's book. Give us that five-star review on iTunes or whatever platform it is you're listening on. Share our podcast with others. We've grown so much. We're fast approaching the 10,000 total download mark, and we would love to cross that over before the end of the year. So let let your friends know about us, and shoot, let your enemies know about us. Maybe you can make a new friend that way. We love you all. Thank you all so much.